228 of the Survival Podcast, and I'm bringing back a special guest that I've had on a few times before. I've always enjoyed my conversations with him. He's a deeply intellectual individual with a lot to say about natural systems, permaculture, uh, and today herbalism as well. We're going to talk about comfrey, natural medicine. We're going to talk about animals and how they fit into our health, building resilience into our health naturally, etc. with Benjamin Page. I'll have him on in just a moment. Before I do, I want to uh, give proper respect to our uh, two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is John Pugliano with the Wealthsteading Podcast. And there he is right there. You see, John, you know, if you look on that that picture, if you're on the video, you look at the picture up to the right side of your screen. That looks like your, your, your typical uh, wealth podcaster. Someone's teaching you about wealth. You see the guy in the middle, though, with the headset on? Same mood. He's a ham radio operator. He's a prepper from way back. Kind of grew up on the other side of the state of Pennsylvania in the same type of environment that I grew up in. He's one of us. That's what I'm saying. He's also he's, he's a, a wealth manager and a podcaster. And if you check out the Wealthsteading podcast, he can teach you all about how to wealthstead. That means how to grow your wealth like you're growing a forest with, with that kind of a mindset. And he offers the podcast for free. comes out a couple times a week been doing it a long time member of our msb so check him out if you haven't already done so and and john i'll tell you one thing about john he's big on value and he would tell you what i'm about to show you from sponsor today number two is a value paul wheaton has an amazing homestead bundle package now the price has gone up he did it for a couple days at 35 bucks which was stupid cheap this is a 285 dollar value uh, when Paul says it's a limited time offer, he means it. But the price didn't go up to 285 bucks. Went up to 65 dollars. Uh, this is a pretty awesome bundle of information. Uh, some of the stuff that's included in it: Joel Salatin's voices, uh, uh, Permaculture Voices keynote presentation, uh, "Building a Better World in Your Own Backyard" ebook by Paul Wheaton himself, "Understanding Roots" ebook, "Tiny House" magazine episode uh, it issues 115, 118, and 119, "Harvesting Rainwater." Uh, High performance gardening ebook by Lynn Gillespie and a ton of other stuff. Just I can't even list it all. I'll link over here real quick for you, just to kind of drive home how much information there is in this package for only sixty five bucks. You can check it out for yourself. There is a link in the video notes down there for those on the audio. You can look this episode up and you'll find that. And even cook with what you have. The ebook from our own Nicole Sauce is included with that. Uh, so it is a great deal, and uh, make sure you check it out. With that, I want to bring our special guest on, uh, Benjamin Page. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing great. It's an honor to be back with you again. I just love chatting with you. Well, I love hearing you too, but chatting with you is even better. <laughs> well, you, you've been on the show, I guess, going back about five years the first time and somewhere in between then and now the second time. Uh, I've always had great conversations when I've had you on, but there's probably a person or two Hadn't heard either of those episodes. Can you give us a little bit about your background, uh, your professional background, and how you, you got into the world you are in today? Yep, I, I was pretty much raised this way, um, which was nice. 
I kind of fell away from it as a as I was growing into my teen years and early college years. But I was pretty much raised on the garden. Uh, my parents raised a garden when I was a kid and I was the one out there weeding the cornfields. And to me, it felt like a forest because I was about three feet tall. So I would sure. just run and play in the corn weeding every afternoon. I mean, I look back at it now. I was like, man. That was so much fun. But when I was doing it, it wasn't fun at all. It was a lot of work. <laughs> but it all started when I was young and I've always wanted to help people. So I've always thought that through medicine would be the best way to help. And I've, my my first thoughts on medicine was, well, what I want to do is I want to become a medical doctor and work in underdeveloped countries. That's okay. what I wanted to do at the very beginning. And and then I realized I met my wife, which is a beautiful woman. She's like, nah, I don't think I'm going to do that. So it's like I kind of changed my mind and I started studying I started studying under other philosophies of medicine and I found chiropractic. So chiropractic kind of aligned with my philosophy of health is kind of how I was raised. So I went to chiropractic college instead and I've been working as a chiropractor. But through all of that, a lot of self learning. I love to learn. So um, the very beginning of chiropractic college, I started listening to you. And that was a long time ago. And and I heard that word permaculture. Yeah, I heard that word permaculture and, and that just opened up a whole new world to me. And since then, I've been growing my food and I've been not only growing my food, but growing less food now, because now I've turned and I've studied human nutrition. I found out that the true human nutrition, that what we thrive is, is actually animal fat and animal meat. So I grow less and less and I consume more and more animal fat and animal meats as I continue to grow and evolve in, in who I am and what I learn as a, as a human being. But. I did find one plant that we're going to talk about today, and you've talked about it on various times. We'll probably talk about that, too. There is one plant that has helped me heal on various occasions, and it was a plant that I used, and I imagine you used at the very beginning because it was through permaculture. I used it just to fertilize my garden beds. Sure. I, had no, I had no idea it had all these medicinal properties in it until until actually I started using it as a medicinal plant, and, that, and that's and that's comfrey. And we'll probably talk about comfrey and all sorts of other things today, but that's kind of how I got to where I am today and what we're going to kind of talk about today really quickly. It is something that I can consider to be like a miracle plant. I want to dig into it next, but I want to kind of comment on what you said there at the beginning with, uh, you know, initially seeking a, a probably an MD was probably in your head of what you were going to do and then turning to chiropractic. And, and I found chiropractic to be extremely beneficial, but I found, if this will make sense, I found chiropractors to be more beneficial than just chiropractic uh, because basically you have a person that's concerned with healing and you take away the prescription pad Right. And then the drug rep that offers you a trip to Honolulu to play golf while you're learning in a seminar doesn't show up. So then you want to heal people and you're not indoctrinated into this belief that every single every single problem a human being can have can be cured with a pill or an injection. So you have to find another alternative. And I, I've like a huge portion of our customers for duck eggs have come to us from chiropractors simply because they recommend, you know, that you get off soy is a huge piece of it in them. And they have people with egg sensitivities. And I think there's a belief that basically you can have like a chicken egg sensitivity and not a duck. And I think that's possible. But I think generally speaking, it's that there's no soy in our eggs. So there's no isoflavins. And so we've gotten a tremendous amount of very health concerned individuals as customers on our small farm through chiropractic and I've all, and I have a, a, a chiropractor that I work with named Dr. Stephen Lewis on Tyler uh, more for general health and adjustment. And I think that 
a lot of folks that end up taking that path, it probably saves you from being indoctrinated. And I don't hate MDs. I love MDs. I got two of them on my expert council. I don't hate drugs. Drugs have saved lives. I hate the application of a drug to everything that looks like a problem. That's exactly how I believe. I believe modern medicine, it's, it's for emergencies and crises and no other thing. So if you're in an emergency or if you're in a crisis, please go to the hospital and get help. But like I say, all emergencies and crises are very short-lived. So if you're on any type of medication, make sure your doctors, you have a plan with your doctor to get off that as soon as possible. Because, yeah, it's just a toxic drug over in, 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 the, in the long term. And it doesn't, in the long term, it doesn't help you at all. It just makes things worse. But if you do need it for a crisis or for an emergency, for sure. And what you were saying about chiropractors, I mean, it is, I mean, unfor- I, w- I wish it was more chiropractors um, that did this and actually studied things out and, and truly helped their patients uh, heal. I mean, chiropractic c- can help and does help. But what's more important than anything is you maintaining natural end range of motion in your joints. So if you have natural end range of motion in your joints, your joints heal themselves. And as you heal yourself, just pain fades away. So there's many things you can do. And I recommend many other exercises. I guess I could talk about them real quick. But there's some things that you can do that you can help maintain and range of motion. And that's how you keep your joints young and healthy. And if your joints are young and healthy, you don't have to worry about pain and discomfort. I mean, it's a, it's a great way to, 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 I guess we can say, decrease unnecessary pain. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of health problems that we have. You know, I'd say this is changing, unfortunately, because of diet. But at least in my day when I was a kid, young people didn't have them. Right. You could have and you talk about cholesterol levels and you'd have all the cholesterol you want. And when you had the the interior blood vessels of the 15 year old, it's like it's like slip trying to cling to oil. It just doesn't work. There's nothing. There's no damage. We haven't had things like homocysteine damage the inside of the blood vessel yet. There's no place for that plaque to accrue. It flows through there. It doesn't matter what you freaking put. I'm being a little facetious when I say this, but you could you could run lard through there and it wouldn't adhere to anything, you know. And as we age, we have these kind of what they call degenerative diseases. And I'm not one of these people that believes you can live a thousand years or anything. But I do think that the lifestyle, both in how we physically act or do not act and the food that we consume, has a great deal of acceleration of the aging process. And then we call that a degenerative disease. And I guess that's if you know the meaning of those two words, it's pretty accurate, but it's not how it's sold to people. And it, and it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah, we do yeah. wear out. I mean, we air, we wear out, but we shouldn't wear out to the point of pain. Yeah, um, there's no there's no need for that. If we're wearing out to the point of pain, we know something's not right. Your body's yelling at you, telling you change something. So what do I got to change? And yeah, like you say, it's movement and nutrition are probably the two major stressors in our bodies, in our in our world today. I mean, of course, we have. We have modern living stresses. I mean, modern living is just way too convenient. It's it's one of the being so convenient becomes very stressful on our spines and in our body in general. But the two major stresses are 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 movement and and what we consume. And if we add rest in there and also that all all the emotional unwell being that we experience today with social media and other things that doesn't help. But those are the two major things. Yeah. Agreed. Let's let's start talking about Comfrey. What's your your story with Comfrey? You've mentioned that it's been very helpful to you. 
Yeah, comfrey, like I said at the very beginning, it's it's something that I've used to fertilize my garden beds for since I can remember. Since my first since my first personal garden in Las Vegas. So when I was in chiropractic college and I was just learning about permaculture, I knew the plant, but I didn't have any. And these were just in, in Iowa, my first gardens were just basically planter box gardens because I was a student and I had nothing to go from. So I would just go find wood that was thrown out and I'd build boxes and, and plant my first garden. And that's why how I planted my first garden. But in Las Vegas, where I went straight right after chiropractic college, um, my sister had a, had an acre and she let me use a fourth of an acre to try and make a, a, a paradise in the desert like Jeff Lawton did. Of course, it never didn't turn out like Jeff Lawton's paradise. <laughs> <laughs> Not even close. But we got a good start. We got a good start. We had some yeah. nice corkscrew cork mesquite trees growing. There's wind breaks. And we had a beautiful garden coming up, coming up with beautiful trees everywhere. But it didn't happen. But that's where comfrey first came in. And that's how I started fertilizing my garden beds. But it was while in Argentina where I really, where I really got the first medicinal benefit of, of comfrey. I was living in Argentina. And I just had way too much leaf. I mean, I didn't know what to do with it. I, sure. I, I was like, so what do I do with this? <laughs> I mean, you can only compost so much of it. So it was actually my dad. My dad gave me the idea of making a salve. So I looked up online. I found a recipe online and I found a recipe. I dried up some leaf and I made this salve for the very first time. And and I had no idea what I was going to do with it. So I put it in the fridge and just sat there. Five days later, I was playing soccer and I broke my big toe on my left foot playing Ooh. soccer. So I was like, well, I guess I'll be the first experiment. And I had heard about it before because I remember, I don't know if it was, I think it was you and some type of knee injury. You said that you'd yep. used comfrey and it was just like, it was just like helped you a ton. So I was like, well, let's see what this stuff does. I had no idea what I was doing. So I just started applying it every three hours. And I was playing basketball pain free one week later. I was like, no, this doesn't make any this doesn't make any physiological sense. Yeah. I mean, I broke my big toe playing soccer. How does this work? So I, I, I knew I had found something. So that's when I really started to dive into in confidence, medicinal uses and, and how it can help us, um, of course, not heal. What comfrey does is it helps us heal ourselves faster. So it doesn't heal us. It just speeds up the process of how we heal ourselves. And I always tell everybody, I mean, nothing's going to heal you. Nothing. It just, I'm not going to heal you. Medical doctor's not going to heal you. The medication, surgery, none of that stuff heals you. What heals you is you. You heal you. And that's it. But what's so cool about plant medicine, it's all, all its properties is that it can speed up the process. It can help us. It can help our bodies heal itself just a little bit faster. And that's what I've seen uh, on various occasions in my own life with comfrey. And that was the first one when I broke my big toe playing soccer in Argentina. Yeah, you're right about being me with a knee. I tore my MCL and my LCL and I was told by a doctor that I needed to have surgery to fix this. And I looked at the the upside of surgery and there wasn't a lot to it. And the downside of waiting for surgery, there was really not a downside. Like if I waited a month and saw how things went, then if I still needed surgery, it didn't set me back by doing that as long as I didn't further injure the knee. So I got a brace and I, I started using comfrey about four times a day on it. And uh, in a month, it wasn't better. It was better enough that I knew I wasn't going to need surgery. Right, so I went from an absolute, you absolutely have to sur have surgery. This will not heal itself to in a 30-day in period. I can walk. 
I can bear weight. Cause I mean, when this happened, I could not bear weight on the leg at all. I was literally a guy that rode around in the supermarket on a little cart and everybody's looking at me like, what's wrong with him? Well, my leg doesn't work. Go away. Um, and it was probably about six weeks total to where I had no concerns from it whatsoever, which is interesting because the recovery period from the surgery would have been longer than it took for the thing to heal that medical science said, you know, the informed expert in the white coat said that will not heal. Oh, yeah. And, and I've, I've seen what this plant can do for people. And it, it strikes me odd that it is the medicinal plant that the government most went to war with. And we're going back 30, 40 years now when the government decided to go to war with comfrey. And I always found it odd. And, and today I don't. My, my much deeper understanding of how the pharmaceutical industry works, things like regulatory capture works, I'm, well, of course they did. What, what, I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm, I'm just thinking 10000 15000 $20,000 is what didn't get billed because that, that surgery never happened. Maybe more, right? Because this plant in a jar in a salve healed that. Well, and like you said, it didn't heal it. I think that's, let's expand on that. So the way I, and you, you take this wherever you want to. The way I've always tried to explain this is if we have a person who's dead, actually brain dead, totally dead. We can put them on a machine and make their body breathe. We can make their heart beat and we can keep their body from decomposing for almost ever. Right. We, we can do that. If we cut that person and I'm not talking about they're almost dead. I'm talking they are dead. We cut them. That cut will never heal. You can put any medicine on it. You can staple it. You can glue it. You can stitch it. That, that cut will never heal. The ability of the body to heal comes from the life within the body and the energy within that life. We don't even know what that means. That's just the way we explain it with human language. And so anything, whether it's a drug, an herb, an exercise, all it does is either accelerate or decelerate or interfere with or aid that life energy's ability to heal the body. Oh, yeah. You said it beautifully. I mean, you said it, that's exactly how it is. I mean, we heal ourselves and there are certain things that will help us heal ourselves faster. And then, of course, the majority of people are suffering because they're living lifestyles that are not congruent to who they are as human beings. So they suffer unnecessarily because our body has to adapt to that. That's all our body does. Our body is either healing or it's adapting to the environments we put it into. And if that environment is not healthy, it adapts to a point to keep us alive, to which will eventually cause suffering. And usually suffering is some type of physical symptom, usually is pain. So that's all our body does. It never does anything not intelligent. Our body is always doing things intelligent. Even if it's a painful reaction, it's intelligent to keep us alive at that moment. And that's the thing. People forget about that. People forget about that beautiful power that we have inside of us to heal ourselves. I mean, if you look at the two cells that came together and formed this, this figure of who we are, I mean, that's incredible. We, we still have that exact same power inside of us to heal. And if we truly want to heal, that's what we have to that's what we have to tap into ourselves and we have to heal ourselves. And and comfrey is just something to speed up that process. And that's what it does. And it, it's it's beautiful to see how it sped up the process in my body. And now uh, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of people see the results of what comfrey, how comfrey can help speed up what the body already knows and wants to do. 
And, and before we go on, I always try to give credit where I get things from. The the whole spiel about cutting the dead body and waiting for it to heal comes from Dr. Andrew Weil in one of his books. He's got wrote Eight Weeks to Optimum Health. I read almost everything he wrote. It wasn't that, but it was some other book. But I just want to, when you use something that comes from somebody, if you remember, I always try to, to credit the source. Can you talk a little bit about how comfrey was used in history? Because it has almost as long as humanity has recorded what it's done, comfrey has been used by human society. Oh, yeah. It, since Greek mythology, Greeks, the Greek physicians wrote about comfrey and they wrote about the roots and they wrote about they wrote about the leaves and they wrote about everything that is that is it has helped people with. But, of course, it's always been its primary cause, at least external cause, has been to unite tissue. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's been used for, to unite tissue, to bring tissue and help remodel tissue for the external use. There's, there's a lot of other uses for it externally. But that's what it's that's what its primary Use was we can look back in history. So in Roman times, so the chariot races, those injuries. I mean, I don't know if anyone's seen Ben Hur, but that was a pretty, those some pretty nasty injuries in that. And I imagine just in real life, that's how they were. The people get stumped. They use comfrey. That's what they used for those people that got injured in those chariot races. Every war since Alexander the Great up until World War One, what was the primary plant that they used? It was comfrey. Comfrey was used to heal almost all things in almost all wars. American, American, Native Americans, they also used comfrey. They, they, it was it was a sacred plant to them. And and like you were saying at the very beginning, it's like so. For, and all of a sudden, forty years ago, there's a couple studies out of mm-hmm. out of two studies out of Australia, and one study out of Japan, showing that somehow it might cause some type of problem. And now it's people just oh, we better not use it at least internally. You better not use it internally. But it's also internally, it's been used. Since the beginning, it's been used as a tea since the beginning of medicine. And and like I say, it's been used in almost every war. Every medics used it up until World War One. And of course, we know World War Two is when was when antibiotics came into the play. So they just stopped using it because they had antibiotics, which antibiotics. I mean, if you have your leg cut off, it's a good idea to use antibiotics. I mean, lots of lots of major trauma in war. We're talking major trauma. So antibiotics helped quite a bit. But they use antibiotics nowadays for pretty much anything and there's so much other better ways to treat those things than antibiotics. So we don't need it. It's, it's used. It's way. It's overused nowadays. Uh, of course, during wartime, and it, that, uh, it's a great way to help decrease mortality for sure. Absolutely, and it's like when you when you read about the potential concerns, right? From an ex- and not from the government, from an experienced herbalist. They'll often say, don't use it on deep wounds because it works so well, it can seal the wound and lock it. It's like not suturing a wound because it can become infected. Now, I think people really need to kind of think about the significance of that. What they're saying is it works too good for certain applications. So deep puncture wounds being one of them. And you, you bring up a good point with the chariot races. I would think as bad and horrific as some of those injuries are probably the closest modern analog is probably motocross racing or maybe not because they didn't quite get the speeds of that, but like BMX bike racing. And I did that as a kid and that's, that's abrasion central. And that's kind of like the sweet spot for comfrey's healing is shallow, painful scrapes, abrasions, lacerations. And it works phenomenally. I've used it. I don't even know how many times I've used it. And, and, I have experimented on myself like you, you, you do a fall where you, you scrape your hands or both arms and you treat one and not the other. 
And I know that's not a controlled, scientific method, peer-reviewed study, but we don't need that for everything. And you can look at two wounds and you watch the healing, and it is it is significantly accelerated, in my opinion. And it is, and it's been shown. That's what, it, and we see it. And that's why I offer. And that's why I continue to use it because I've seen it myself. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. You break a bone because it usually takes four to six weeks for a bone to heal. I was I was playing basketball. One week later, I was like, "What is this stuff?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, one of its its um, folk names is bone knit. Yep. Right. That's I think that's actually Native American in in Genesis is the the bone knit. Uh, folk name for it because they knew that if you had a fracture, it would accelerate the healing of a bone. One of the most interesting things that, that I've read on Comfrey, I've got the book up on the screen and a link in the feed right now for those in chat is uh, Lawrence uh, D. Hill's book, Comfrey past, present and future. And it's, it's the most dramatic thing in that book is toward the end of it. He talks about, and he was uh, in the UK, and UK has a long history of socialized medicine, even back in, I think, the 50s is when this was going on. And you can't give somebody something, even though it's harmless, unless the government says you can. And uh, they they had these elderly people who couldn't get out of bed that were terminally ill. So they were, like, they're going to die, right? Like, then they don't know when, but it'll be soon. And they had these really painful bed sores and only after they had done everything within their protocol they could to treat those bed sores and they did not improve at all, could they then test comfrey on them. And they did, and they had a remarkable healing rate. And anybody wants to know more about the subject, it's an old book, but I definitely recommend you check it out. It's pretty amazing. But these people had incredible results. And these are not people like you and me that are eating well and active and healthy and have good circulation, right? These are people end of life stage, immobilized invalids in bed, and they had beneficial results to bed sores, which are one of the hardest things in the world. And we still have this problem and comfrey's not being used to address it. And it's, it's insane to me. And, and the reason, I mean, I could, the reason why it does it, I mean, comfrey, like we most people know that's in permaculture, it's it's a mining plant. So it's got yeah. really deep roots. So it goes way, it goes below the subsoil, it goes below the topsoil and it mines minerals and vitamins out of the out of the soil. So it, it's been shown to mine, which I think it's one of the only plants, if not the only plant, to mine out vitamin B twelve. It mines out vitamin A, C, E, it it mines out vitamins B one, B two, B three, B nine. It mines out ten minerals. Out of the soil, so it's got ten minerals. It's got, let's see, if I can remember them off the top of my head, it's got, it's got calcium, chromium, cobalt. It's got, it's got, it's, it's got um, iron. It's got manganese, magnesium, phosphate, uh, potassium. It's got iodine. It's got silicon. I mean, it's got all these minerals, and all these minerals come together and they form compounds in in the plant. And one of the and when I started to study it out, what I found out was what really helped me the most. We can talk about other compounds, but the compound that I saw that really helped me the most is a compound called allantoin, and it's been shown that allantoin promotes cellular reproduction. So it speeds up the process of what the cell already does. It just speeds up that replication, that repl the replication of cells, which helps con build tissue. So it promotes proper remodeling of tissue. Hmm. So as you as you build tissue, you heal. 
And as you heal, pain just fades away. And that's what happens most times. Most people never fully heal because most people will start to feel relief or the pain will go away. And then they just go back to the normal activities of daily living without being fully healed and they re-injure themselves. So what Comfrey does is it helps remodel and rebuild that tissue faster so you have longer lasting relief too. So you actually, you actually have the ability to fully heal because you're applying something that's just speeding up the process with this allantoin. It's also got choline and rosemary acid that also have properties that help in the reconstruction and the defense, well, defense, not with, 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 uh, with inflammation. So it doesn't have as much damaged cells because it decreases what inflammation actually does. Inflammation is very important. It's, it's part, it's the very important part of healing, but it can take out more of the good cells than it needs to. So what rosemary acid does is kind of decreases that. So we don't have as much cell damage as the inflammation comes in. And, and it's kind of like the garbage truck kind of takes out all the dirty and all the broken tissue. So the, so the cells can come in and rebuild the proper tissue. And then it's been shown that that choline also helps with nerve endings and, and blood vessels. Yeah. So, and that's how we rebuild. And that's how we build with nerve endings, blood vessels, and then just building the tissue in itself. And we got the, you got a combination of three compounds that work together that help build your tissue and help you heal you faster. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Agreed. Um, I'm going to give you a thing to talk and I'm going to disappear for a second. You carry us. I'll be right back. I've got a dog issue and I'm alone at home today. Uh, live podcasting folks. So anyway, um, medical sciences, Use of what you just said, even if they accept it, then is, well, let's isolate that compound and let's put it into a drug, preferably patented, and then let's sell it. And even if they do that, and even if it wasn't super expensive or whatever, even if it was in an over-the-counter, the problem to me is then we have lost all the things that go with it. If we were in the world of cannabis, you know, full spectrum versus isolate, right? And I think that's a huge problem, and I think there's there's reasons for it, but I'm more concerned with what you think about the issue with that approach than oh, yeah. why it's done. Great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could definitely talk about that and let you go and take care of your dogs. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about synergy. So in, in life, one plus one does not equal two. One plus one equals five, six seven sometimes so if you get a combination of these things what it does is it it causes effects on other systems that causes the healing to increase and you get better faster so it's, it's a synergy of all these compounds combined that truly make it that's how we work as humans too i can't if you tell me this hurts i can't say you it's that i mean it's it's a combination of some many maybe even thousands of things throughout your life and throughout your history I mean, it's just not one little teeny thing. It's 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 a combination of many things. So we take that plant and it's funny because you look at plants and chemicals that are fabricated in factories and the way they spin, the way they the way their energy is different. So just by using a plant, you're using a different type of energy. And we know that we're just a big ball of energy. So as as we have the proper energies, we heal. I mean, so, so it's 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 many things, but it's incredible the importance and the potency of the the, the plant in, in in its totality, and never just taking out one compound. And that's what they also do on the other side. On the other side, so they they take out one portion of the plant that they think is bad, and yeah. then they inject that into a rat and say, "Look, this one thing 
from this plant caused that in a rat. So now yeah. we don't use it anymore because it might cause that in human beings because we have four cases of maybe potential potential poison and liver failure, but we're not for sure it's just that because they live a lifestyle that's not that healthy in the first place. But yeah. that's what it is. <laughs> well, it's eight million capsules of, you know, comfrey. Or with the study, there's two primary studies that were used as justification to ban the internal use of comfrey. And one of them that I dug deeply into, the rats were fed a concentrate and it was literally over a 90 day period by weight for a human, an average human being, 180 pound male to consume the same amount of comfrey. This poor rat or group of rats poor rats were given 60,000 leaves of comfrey over 90 days. Now, I've, I've used comfrey internally. I can't officially recommend it because now I'm recommending a, a, a something that's banned by the, the state. I can say that I've used it, right? And I've never had any ill effects. And I would tell you that, you know, there's some things you can do with comfrey. It actually kind of tastes like cucumber. The flowers taste kind of good. Uh, they kind of are good on a salad. I'm not recommending anybody do it. I'm just saying they are. I can't think of a freaking world. But I would have to be starving to the point of I ate the leather off my chair and got nothing else before I'd eat 60,000 leaves of comfrey. I don't know that if I could, if I was only eating comfrey, if I could eat 60,000 leaves of comfrey in 90 days. I don't think it's humanly possible. And it, it's to the point of ridiculousness. But yet if you tell a person who is not accepted this is the world we live in that they think you're crazy, you've made it up, you can show them the freaking study and say, here it is, do the math, and they won't. And they just mentally shut down. And I think that's a larger problem we have with medicine is not just how medicine works, but the ridiculous level of faith people put in official recommendations. Oh, yeah. Now we could see that just through that whole this. I guess we can't even say that. that yeah, we said the COVID. Yeah, we can't, even say, <laughs> we can't even say it. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, yeah, just, I've got a strike against me right now, so I'll go down for a month if I get another one. So this uh, talking about eating comfrey, I mean, that's what got. So also the the great potato famine in Ireland. What what got them through it? They ate comfrey leaves. That's what got them through it. That's that's also something you find in history is they they consumed comfrey leaves. Of course, most people don't consume comfrey leaves today. They use it as fodder. They they give it to their animals, which most animals don't really care. I mean, my dad's got ducks and the ducks do eat it. Ducks eat it. <laughs> yeah, but chickens don't eat it as much. I mean, he no. has a couple that'll go and they'll peck at it, but they don't. But it's it's a really good because I mean, it's that's another thing. It's really high in plant protein, too, for your fodder. So they'll be a lot more nutritious for you when you take them and you eat them and treat them respectfully once you eat them. Yeah. You know, the thing about it with livestock is and this is where people don't understand animals have some level of innate intelligence, but they can also get themselves into trouble. So don't take what I'm about to say to the extreme, because I've seen cows try to kill themselves on acorns or Osage orange or something like that. And cattle are the critters that will do the most. They're the toddlers of the animal world. They'll go out of their way to kill themselves in a variety of ways. But most animals, like, I don't know if you ever hunted. I grew up hunting. I've never seen in my life a deer come walking through the woods, eat something, fall over and die. All kinds of stuff out in the woods that are toxic to me, toxic to you, deer don't eat it. You'll also notice, though, that, and I say that about cattle, but when they're on pasture and they've kind of come up on pasture and they've developed the intelligence to the landscape they're in, because usually what happens with cattle is you get cattle, you bring them into an area, and they were fed hay and straight graze, and then they're in a more 
civil pasture model and they're around things they're not familiar with and they eat 5,000 acorns and give themselves tannic acid poisoning or something like that. Even they, though, if they're brought up in it, they develop this. And what you'll find is a lot of animals will eat and medicate themselves with herbs in small amounts here and there. And most herbs have some sort of a a taste that will be bitter or something like that where you wouldn't want to eat it by itself or you wouldn't want to eat large quantities of it. And and nature is self-medicating in this way. And I've I've seen animals definitely do that. Now, you're right, ducks, will, I only have comfrey in wicking beds, very high raised beds and inside areas. Because if I try to grow comfrey anywhere the ducks go, they will eat it to the ground. Geese as well. Uh, pigs will eat it. Um, that was one of the things in, in Lawrence's book. He talks about how that, yes, you can you can feed a pig too much comfrey, but you have to do something like something in the range of 40 percent of the total diet before you start having problems. And at that point, you can actually cause death. But I think you could probably cause death in most things by giving them enough of anything. That's what it is. I mean, in all, like in all things, it's it, all the, it's all in moderation. I mean, you use it when you absolutely need it. You don't use it just to use it. So it's it's all in in, in everything we do in our life. I mean, we don't want to go to an extreme with absolutely anything. We can go to extreme with the most healthiest things, and it's not going to do us any good. I mean, you never want to take things too extreme, but we do have a beautiful, wonderful plant that is willing to help the body heal itself just a little bit faster. And if we use it properly, which is Use it when we actually do have the lesion or if we're going to use it internally, learn about it and, learn, and we could talk. There's some things to use it for internally. But you most I, it's, I, it's the top of cream. You use it when you actually need it. Yeah, I see it as a tonifying herb used in moderation internally. Again, I'm speaking only for myself here. OK, feds, go away, do something else. Um, but like when I'm making tea, sometimes I have these raised beds that I do different herbs in, like uh uh, lemon balm and mints and bee balm and stuff. And when I'm I'll, a couple of this, a couple of that, and yeah, I'll throw a half a leaf of comfrey in there. And if it's going to kill me, it, it should have done that a long time ago. I mean, I've been using comfrey in my life since I was a little kid. I mean, my grandfather taught me about three primary herbs for healing and they were uh, plantain, uh, a, a, a comfrey and lantana. And and all three of them have been a, a big part of health in my life and calendula as well. Like all of those have had a big impact on my life. And I've never harmed myself or seen anybody harmed by them. And you won't see it. Yeah. Unless you see unless you t- see people take it to the extreme, which is very rare. But I mean, I think the one I think one of the it was they were drinking 10 cups of pure comfrey tea a day and then taking yeah. a handful of pills every day of comfrey. Yeah. I mean, yeah. these are things that like it, it's, it's not needed to take it that far. I mean, so yeah. it, 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 you'll, and as human beings, we understand that. I mean, most of yeah. us understand we use it when we need it. That's when yeah. We yeah. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. If you look at something as medicine, you don't take it all the time. Hmm. You take it as needed. Uh, or like I said, there's a tonifying effect of some herbs as well. Uh, are there, you, you mentioned this, this toe injury. Are there any other ways that comfrey has benefited you personally? Yeah. Um, just in, I mean, just in the last couple of months, just in my, my own family too, my wife too. So I jujitsu, I love jujitsu. And when you grapple, you get major bruising under your bicep on the inside. I mean, it's just, it's just, well, at least I do. I don't know if everyone does, but I do. I get bruising on the inside of my arm and big away quickly. I mean, I apply it there and it's gone. My wife, we were playing basketball the other day. My wife jammed her finger. 
playing basketball. Big old bruise, and it was all. She started applying it two days later, perfect motion, and no pain. My my son, my son, he was playing basketball. So it's not just for it's for everybody. My son was playing basketball. He wanted to he he wanted to make the basketball team here in Texas because we just got back here in Texas. It's funny we live pretty close now. I didn't even know that, but I live I'm living in Georgetown. You're you're just up north, so you're not too far away from. So I'll definitely have to meet up with you someday that'd be pretty cool but going back to what i was talking about is he was playing basketball he wanted to make the basketball team first day of tryouts he goes up for a rebound comes down lands on somebody's foot rolls and sprains his ankle he's like first day no way he thought he was done so i said let's do what i did we started playing every three hours last day of tryouts three days later he was playing pain-free made the team i mean it's just it, there's success story after success story after success story of what comfrey actually does for us and these are these are just in my personal life and with my kids, my wife and myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts more about overriding conventional medicine versus the type of thing we're talking about today? What do you mean by overriding? Just like your, your macro view of, of what is medicine compared to what we are conditioned to believe or think of as medicine from our doctors, our scientists, our government, industry, et cetera. Medicine is me when I'm a, so when I treat a patient, what it is, is is I've always said this. I don't say to all my patients, but I say a lot of patients is my job is to enjoy your body heal itself. That's my job because you do all the work. So medicine is you heal you. And I can, I can't get back to that. People, Stray away from that. But if you heal yourself, so you only heal yourself. It doesn't matter what you do, what you, the only way you're going to fully heal yourself is by you taking responsibility of who you are. And you can base that on very, there's, I, I, it's simple. I mean, health is really, it's simple. I'm not saying it's easy. It's very simple. So if you can put your body into a healthy internal environment and a healthy external environment, your body does the rest and you heal you. And it doesn't matter what you have. I've seen, I've seen cases from, from the type of cancers that supposedly no one comes back from to just common colds. If you put yourself in the proper environment, so internally and externally, you heal you and that's it. And that's medicine. That's what we need to realize. It's all on you. You take responsibility for your health. Um, I can maybe be a guide. I can guide you and maybe give you some examples or some some points and then you go home and study them out and you put them into your life the best way you possibly can to help you the best you possibly can. But you heal you. And that's what medicine is. We need to go back to who we are naturally and use professionals as guides more than anything, because that's their job is to learn these things to help you guide you through this this journey called life to get the best out of life and the best out of life is being able to serve others and if we're not healthy ourselves we definitely can't serve others and if we're not serving others we won't ever feel fully fulfilled and that's what i try and help people understand is that it's it's a response it's a responsibility that you need to take on yourself and don't let other people take that responsibility from you or other things Um, a lot of people think they get a pill and now I have to take this for the rest of my life. It's it's not like that. You you can heal you, especially in today's society where most sickness is metabolic, or in other words, it's induced by lifestyle. You know, 
uh, Josh in the chat is saying this right here. And I don't know if he got it from me or somewhere else, but it's definitely the case. I've said it many times. Doctor is a teacher. And so you were talking about the Greeks writing about it, you know, the time of Socrates and stuff like that. Like that's in, in, in traditionally throughout most of human history, a doctor was a person that did, did what you just said. Uh, they taught the patient the things that they needed to do to heal themselves, right? Patient heal thyself, et cetera. Um, in fact, even in those times, there were a dude that come out and go, yeah, that leg needs to come off, cut your leg off. Right. Or they would try to repair mechanically a wound. Even we have paleolithic records of uh, people having head injuries and paleolithic man somehow figuring out with a bone all in a stone to cut a hole in a dude's head and relieve pressure. And they figured out from other remains it actually occasionally worked. Well, that dude throughout history generally wasn't called a doctor. They were referred to as a surgeon. And there was kind of a delineation there. And I think we still have that in modern medicine. You have kind of the surgical cult. Everything needs to be cut to be fixed. And you got the doctor cult. Uh, they call them both doctors, but the, the drug cult, right? Like everything has a pill. Where, where to me, medicine is an overriding idea that the body has a healing capability and that the, the, the role uh, of a medical professional should be aid the, and guide the patient through that process as much as possible. And like we both said today already, for those that think maybe we're going to go off in, in the la-la land, if I have a yield sign in my spleen, I would like a surgeon, now, a modern surgeon, not the one in the cave with the rock and the bone all, to, to take the yield sign of my spleen. If I'm having a, 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 an aortic aneurysm, if you can get to me before I die, I want a cardiac thoracic surgeon to take my chest apart and fix it because that's what it's going to take to fix that. Uh, that particular injury. And I do think there's physical defects that people are born with that sometimes manifest themselves and sometimes don't. You have a person, and that might be a lot to do with lifestyle too. Two people have a predisposition to have an aortic aneurysm. One dies, they're 98 years old, and a medical student is examining their cadaver in medical school and goes, oh shit, this dude could have had an aortic aneurysm at any time. Another dude pops off at 50 with the same underlying condition. Um and so there are places where please save my life. Like you said, an emergency should be short lived. Um, but overall, medicine has been, I guess the way I could put it is co-opted. It's been taken over by this small group of elites that claim ownership of the concept when it is an innate human right to understand how your body heals and be able to have access to the things that allow you to heal, especially when it's something as simply as a plant. Yeah. And yeah, you're completely right. I mean, the more, the more I study about it, that's exactly what's happened. I mean, we can look back into history. We can see the infamous Flexner report, which changed oh, yeah. pretty much medicine from one day to the next. Um, suddenly tons of tons of medical schools were closed because they're like, no, I'm not going to do that. And yeah. what, was, what was left was the schools that were willing to teach pharmacy. And you couldn't use the word energy. Yeah. They, right. It was a perfectly acceptable word to use in medicine one day and the next day, anything that approached medicine from an energetic viewpoint. And I'm not talking Reiki and healing with your hand. I'm just the acknowledgement that the body is an energetic system was basically banned from the medical profession. And probably one a day is more like a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that total, you know, nail fell because it's a, it's a, and it's, it's the pattern, Right. Private industry wants to control a thing, so they run the thing through government on the auspices of protecting the public 
And then the government uses the authority to do the bidding of the oligarchy on the other side of it. And that's exactly what the Flexner report and, and the Rockefellers did. You know, yeah. So a, lot, a few people made a lot of money, caused yeah. a lot of harm. And the first thing we do as medical professionals is swear to do no harm. Mm. You know, and that's something that that's a larger medical discussion. But we have a lot of things being done today to prolong life that are not prolonging life and doing harm. It, it, it's I think people have this weird notion that doctors take a Hippocratic oath like the president signing it, you know, swearing into the um, to, to the office or something. I, I don't know that it works that way. I think it's kind of an implied thing or something. I don't know that they ever actually swear the Hippocratic oath. If I'm wrong about that, somebody correct me. But I, I've never seen a swearing in ceremony for MDs. I don't I mean, that that's actually funny that you asked me that question. because I'm trying to think back to chiropractic college. And I think that we actually did that. In car- I don't know. If we all we, did. I don't okay. know if we actually put our arm up to the square. Yeah. I remember reading the Hippocratic Oath. I remember reading that as a class together and we pretty much swore to it. But I don't remember actually swearing to the square or anything like that. But I think okay. we it's, if there's any MDs listening to us right now and I got this wrong, let me know. I just I would think that I would have seen some evidence of it or something. Maybe I'll do. I don't know. Um, all I can think of is an episode of uh, uh, a TV show where somebody said something about I have a nurse's oath or something. And it was a joke. Uh, <laughs> um, let's turn the corner a little bit, though, as we get toward an hour here. Um, you also had in your notes that you, you submitted the concepts of animals and how animal systems and animals fit into human health. Yeah. I mean, th- and this has also evolved over time. I mean, I used to be, I, of course, that's, that's what we do as humans. We continue to evolve and learn and change and become better and try to become the best we can and then take that knowledge and hopefully, hopefully better our own lives and maybe help other people make better decisions themselves. Of course, they're going to make their own decisions when, when they make their own decisions, but, but I've learned over time, and I think I did talk to a, about it just a little bit at the very beginning. Of the, I found the importance of animals and human nutrition. Uh, this was a process too, and it was it was a process of studying and not science, but humans. I started to study what humans were like back just a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, and then maybe thousand years ago. But then I just started studying humans today. And what I saw in certain humans, and when I say study, I'm not going on to a stri- I, I learned from them. I learned from these other humans and what they were putting into their own life. And they, and they were thriving. Uh, they were thriving physically against all odds. Everyone's telling them there's just no way you're going to be able to do this or that or this. You're, you're going to die. I mean, against all odds, but they were thriving. So the more I looked into it, I found out that humans thrive on animal fat and animal meats and animal organs and anything that the animal has to offer us. Of course, um, the more locally raised, the more properly raised the animal, the more healthy we will be. But in its totality, animal fat and animal meats and organs and what they provide is how we thrive as human beings. So the more we eat what helps us thrive, the faster we heal. And that's what I've seen in my own personal life. I've been like this for the last five years now, and I've never felt stronger. I've never felt better. I continue to work out and I continue to build myself. Um, I'm getting to the age where I need to do that to make sure I maintain everything as best as I can. But I can see is, is, is progression over five years, not regression. And most people, as they grow older, they start to feel like, well, 
I can't move as much. I'm not quite as strong. I can't do certain things and I feel just a little bit more pain, but that's natural because I'm growing older. Mm -hmm. Oh, it doesn't have to be like that. And if we decide to change what we eat, which again, this is my opinion through what I've seen throughout history, but I believe it's the way to eat is base your diet on animal fats and animal meats and organs, anything they have to offer us. And then very few fruits and vegetables in season and you will see yourself thriving. You know, I think there's something also to um, animals within systems creating the mineral recycling and remineralizing of soil. That the plants that we do use, whether they're medicinal or whether they're food plants. So what I mean by that is that it is the animal that processes the plant through, especially ruminants, through their digestive system and redeposits it to the soil. And without those animals in that system, you will you can have the same uh, the same plant life, and you'll never fully remineralize soils. And we also can then take the places we've truly degenerated, and we can supplemental feed free choice minerals to these ruminants. Uh, and that will accelerate the remineralization of soil. And like you said, then we take plants like comfrey, which is probably the best known and maybe the best of the dynamic accumulators. But there's, you know, every plant accumulates something and then recycles it into the system. And so to me, those those two systems work together. The more research that I've done on anthropolo- anthropology, though, and paleoanthropology, the more I find that one Mankind primarily relied on animal protein for the majority of its existence. Uh, and, and two, when it did move to agriculture, no matter how well it worked, sooner or later there were problems. Even long ago when it was ancient varieties or whatever people come up with, uh, you put high density populations, people living close together. You, you bring animal husbandry into that in a way that is maybe not as clean as it should be. And then you put a person that that really needs a a high-fat, moderate-protein, low-carbohydrate diet on a high-carbohydrate, low-fat, moderate-protein diet, and all of a sudden you have all kinds of health problems. And and I I think that what made the the people of the Americas, as I'm reading 1491, this is my book. It's turned into a two-week book because it's a long book. I try to read a book a week. Um, But 1491 is America before Columbus. And I never really thought about the fact that the Native American population through, from the, the tip of South America to Alaska, what they didn't have was livestock the way we think of it. They, they did not domesticate hardly anything. A little bit with the turkey and, uh, I guess, guinea pigs, you know, in a, a small little area. But they didn't have the, the zoontotic diseases, that we developed in Asia and Europe and Africa because they didn't have, you know, you don't domesticate Buffalo. You don't not, not, not bison. It doesn't work. They, they walk right through fences and what have you. So even though they actually, they actually created game trails, they figured this out. Like they created game trails that had bison living from like Georgia to new England in very small populations. They made game trails all the way from the plains and they pushed them over there, but they didn't cohabitate with them. And, and then we did in Europe, and that's a big part of one of many things as I was reading this book about why things like smallpox and influenza hit the native population so much harder than you would have thought because they they did not only have the resistance because they had been exposed, they didn't 
cohabitate with with livestock. So it's a it's a kind of one off the side there, but it's an interesting way to look at the situation that we're in today, where all the animals are on these giant mega farms, and then they tell us the food's bad for us. Well, what's the food eating? Right? Isn't that really what it comes down to? What is a cow supposed to eat? Yeah. Grass, forbs, herbs, right? So you start feeding the cow maize, corn, uh, and soy. Well, maybe the cow's not so good for you anymore. I don't know. Yeah. And what you said at the very beginning is like, so what does that turn into? It turns into the United States. Yeah. <laughs> we can see the health of the United States. We're doing exactly that, what you're saying. That's we can see what's happening in the United States. It's unfortunate, but this is my kids generation is going to be the very first generation, I think in seven or eight generations that they're, that they're, they're, uh, their estimated life will be lower than my generation. Yeah. I mean, that, it's the first time, like six or seven or eight generations where that's actually happened. So we are, we are to the point where we're so sick that further generations have a life expectancy that's shorter than mine. Um, very unfortunate. We can see that one of the main problems is how we eat. Um, but it is also a lack of motion. It's a lack of rest. It's a lack of, it's, it's a lack of internal proper dialogue. I mean, there's, there's some other things to it. And like I, I just say, health is really simple. I mean, if we can put that proper environment, so if we can eat properly, if we can rest properly, if we can move properly, if we can think properly, we heal. Yeah. Period. We heal. And, and that's, that's just how we are made. That's how we are made as human beings. And as soon as we do that, and the same thing with animals, as soon as you take animals out of their, out of their natural habitat, what happens? They become sick. Yeah. And if you find an obese animal, it's eating our garbage or we're feeding it. Right. If, and I mean obese for the species. So somebody will say an elephant's obese. It's not obese for an elephant. It's exactly what an elephant's supposed to be. And so when we have an obesity problem, we have a diet problem. And it's not a quantity problem. Again, go back even a hundred years, let alone a thousand years. You see a bunch of paleo Indians sitting around about 9,000 years ago after they killed a bison. And a guy goes, well, trim the fat and uh, give me a portion the size of my palm. And uh, go get these uh, these vegetables that don't exist yet, and, and I'm going to balance my plate. Like, th this is ridiculous that we have convinced people that this is how they need to moderate their diet in order to have a healthy weight. There's not an animal on planet Earth that has a regulated diet other than it's regulated by what it naturally eats in nature and what it can obtain. And people would say, well, that's the thing, right? It can't overeat because it can't get it. You go watch, I'll tell you what, when a lion, lion uh, pride kills a wildebeest or a buffalo or something like that, and they all eat it, if they wanted another one, they'll go get another one. There is, there is no shortage of food. They have an unlimited supply, and yet they remain healthy. And then you get people that just want to believe the narrative. So they say, well, they're running around all the time. No, they're not. You see what lions do most of the time, Ben? What do they do? They sleep. Mm, resting and sleeping, you know. <laughs> they sleep, they play, and they make more lions. And they fight. That's it. That's 90. And they hunt when they have to. And, you know, human beings, we should be able to maintain health with a natural diet without any real moderation. Now, if you're seriously overweight, you have met, you, you've, you've abused yourself. You might have to rein things in. You've created an addiction problem for yourself or something. Because uh, addictions are not just heroin and crack, right? You can have an addiction to sugar. You can have addiction to processed foods and certain flavors and things like that. But once you get past that, you should be able to relatively eat the way that you want and be healthy. You know, you should be able to, not the way, the quantities you want and be healthy, I guess is another way of putting it. 
and I yeah, and I agree with you. And if we're eating the proper human natural diet, yeah. And I I've, I've always talked to people and I tell them like weight is the least of my worries because if you eat the natural human diet, if you eat what we're supposed to eat, it doesn't matter the quantity because you're going to get full, and you're going to stop eating it anyway. You'll either gain weight if you need to gain weight or you're going to lose weight if you need to lose weight and then you'll reach this plateau where you're just there because yeah. you're eating the natural human diet and you're eating that makes you and you're eating to the point where you're sufficiently full and that's just and just and, and it doesn't matter what that weight is everyone's so different everyone's gonna have their own special weight i don't even care what the number is what i what i care about is that you eat what you should be eating mm-hmm. and you'll find that when you, you'll find that weight and you'll just like wait i'm just i'm 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 staying the same weight this is my natural weight this is who i am and i feel the best at this weight and and but you will reach that weight naturally there's no need to get on a scale well, I, I found this hugely interesting. Even I'm not recommending grain, but this was probably better for you than what we eat today. And I'm not going to say ancient grain because then how's it grown? How's it harvested? And what's its protein content? But I remember listening to one of Bill Mollison's PDCs, and he was talking about how they used to do wheat in the United States prior to 1920s. And so one thing was it had to be tested for its protein content. And basically all the wheat we eat today, the protein content is so low that it would not be legal to sell it as human food prior to the 1920s in the United States. It would have to be animal feed. So we're already done right there. Then they would, you know, you talk about the sheaths and you see that you think of the old days of the stuff out in the field and we think, well, it's modern equipment that made that go away. Well, they had combines in the 1800s that a horse pulled. So that's not why it went away. It, it, what people figured out was you take the wheat, and you cut it and you stack it in these sheaves and the pressure and the amount creates a natural fermentation that happened on this grain. And it literally heated up. And there was a time that it had to sit for in the field before it was threshed. Right. And before it was was uh, winnowed. And then it was, you know, for human food. So it had to have a certain protein content and it had to be harvested that way or it wasn't for people. Now, the really interesting question is, why did they figure that out in the first place? It, because this is how it was done pretty much all over the world where they grew wheat and, and barley and other grains like this. It was all done the same way. All these cultures that that grew it figured out to do it that way. Why'd they figure that out? And it, it, it's almost as if as they started using it, they noticed that if you did this with it, people didn't get sick. And if you didn't do this with it, people started to have nutritional problems. Probably the same type of thing that led to an adoption of, of nixtamalization with, with corn in, in, in the new world, as it's been called, you know, that like when you did this, people didn't starve to death on a corn diet. And if you didn't do this, then they did. And there's so many things that we've taken that, you know, this ancient wisdom that was still with us a century ago, which is that in human history. And we just don't even worry about it. Anymore. Like it never mattered. And it's insane to me that we've just abandoned, you want to say the wisdom of our ancestors, but it's the wisdom of our grandparents, for God's sakes. Yeah, I, yeah, I look one, I look back one generation. Yeah, I look at my grandparents and, and I wish I told my grandpa so many times, write a book. I want that book. He's like, nah, you'll learn it. It just takes time. I'm still learning. You'll learn. (laughs) I learn every year. Every time I put something in, I'm learning something new. You'll learn it. But oh yeah, I mean, that's what it is that it's that wisdom that has been lost and not only in food production, but in medicine too. That was passed down from generation to generation too. Mm-hmm. All the plants that need to be used and need to be propagated and all that, that was what it was also. And it was just natural to the human 
that you knew that was going to happen. And they taught you how to do it. And then it just moved down and you continued to thrive. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, you can't, I wouldn't say you're going to thrive on, on, on grains, but if you do it the proper way, it's, it, it can be slightly more nutritious. I sure. mean, sure. If you ferment it and that's just a nat- natural process of fermenting. I mean, yeah, it's going to be a little bit more consumable for the human being for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and my, my bigger issue there was why did they do it? Like, like that's a pretty complex thing to come up with and to basically proliferate itself across the grain using societies of the world. For over a thousand years, everybody did the same thing. There has to be a reason that they developed that. It it, it wasn't just there's an old story about, you know, the wife makes a pot roast and she cuts a small end off of it. And the husband says, well, why do you do that? She says, I don't know. Mom always did it that way. So they call mom and mom says, I don't know. Your grandma always did it that way. So grandma's still and they call her up. She said the pot wasn't big enough to put the roast in. Right. Things like that can happen. But when you're talking about a global agricultural practice that's practiced for that long, it's probably not because somebody did it and then everybody emulated them like a bunch of monkeys. There's probably some ancient wisdom in the fact that this made the food better for humankind. Um, And I'm with you. I don't think it's the way you should live. But if you're going to, I'd rather you do it right than wrong. And and that would be the kind of uh, system to look for. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about how we can naturally build resilience into our health? Yeah. Living those ways I was talking to about just barely. So like I say, health is very simple. But if you want to be resilient, if you want to have the health where you're, where you're able to fight everything off, and not just the little things, but the big things too, those those big traumatic problems. I mean, even, even the emotional traumatic, tra- traumatic problems, if you want to be able to fight those off and live another day and healthy, just you need to focus on those four things, five things. So you need to focus on your rest. So it's not just when you rest, it's how you rest. So you need to make sure that we're using the moon and the sun as it's supposed to be used. <laughs> so when the sun goes down, it's time to rest. It goes down for a reason. And when it comes back up, we're supposed to work. So if we're resting properly, that's going to cause our hormones to balance. And with hormones that are balanced, that makes us a lot more healthy. So resting properly, that's going to make it more resilient. Eating the proper natural human diet, that's going to help you. What is that? I personally believe it's eating animal fats, animal meats, and everything that the animal has to offer you. And then if you like fruits and vegetables, enjoy them. Pretty much everything else, just get rid of it. Just don't consume it. Just don't do it. There's no need for it. And then the whole mental internal dialogue, I've always just, I've always gone back to Miguel Ruiz. I love his work because it's so simple. I'm trying to simplify as much as we can to make life simple for everyone else. I mean, everyone tries to complicate everything. So if you have that internal conflict, there's, there's, there's four things you can do. It's not easy, but there's four things you can focus on. If you focus on just making sure that everything you say to yourself and to all those around you is flawless, if you can just don't take things personally. Don't assume and have expectations on others, just yourself. And then just do the best you can. Over time, you'll become very resilient mentally. And once you have that mental resiliency, you can pretty much take on anything. And then, of course, movement. We just don't move enough. We're sedentary. And when I say move, because I'll, I'll be talking with patients and I'll be like, hey, I do move. I'm up and I'm always. But do you move at end range of motion? You take those joints all the way to the very end where they don't move anymore or to point of pain. Do you do that often? It's like, oh, no, 
So if we want a healthy joints, we have to take them to end range of motion. And I recommend everybody to start to do this every day. And the reason I do is because I do it personally. I'm not going to tell you to do something I don't do. What you do is you take your spine and you take it to right rotation, left rotation, right and left lateral flexion, flexion. You want extension. You want to take it to that point where it just won't move anymore. And you want to do that repetitively. You want to do that often. So I recommend I try to do it every day, 20 reps every day in all end ranges of motion to keep that active end range of motion. So my my joints stay nice, mobile and fluid. And then, of course, I lift as heavy as I possibly can. And I become as flexible as I possibly can, because if I'm flexible and strong, injury and pain is pretty much non-existent. So try to become as flexible and as strong as you possibly can. There's many ways to do that. And I always say, I mean, for for at least males, it's different for females. But for if you're a male, try to deadlift two times your weight and and split. That should be your end goal. You want to do front and side splits and you're never too old to do it. You're never too old to do it. You can do it. And then try to Double your weight in, in a deadlift. I mean, of course, that's just, but there's many ways. And I'm just saying that's something to look forward to. And if you can make yourself that strong and that flexible, injury and pain is pretty much going to go away. But if you can live your life in that type of a manner, and of course, consistently over time, you'll be resilient and you'll be able to fight off anything. Yeah. Yeah. I, what I would add to it is uh, intention. Uh, and taking control of things. So okay. one thing I often talk about with doing that is is breath work. And if you're going to lift, you're probably going to do that anyway. It's it, proper lifting technique is going to have breath work within it. And I'm not talking about shamanic breath work to where you put yourself in a trance. I'm just talking about the fact that we breathe in and out involuntarily is what keeps us alive. But the, the simple act of monitoring your breathing two or three times a day in a short meditative state so that you're taking control of something that otherwise is unnecessary, that then trains the mind to think that way. Because okay. most people live their life completely out of control, uh, going a little crazy into dream theory and stuff here. Like if you have dreams of shit like you're in the backseat of a car and you're supposed to be driving something like that, or you're in a car and you hit the brakes and they don't work, things like that, that that's an indicator that in your mind you don't believe that you're in control of your life. And, and then there's a thousand variants of, of that type of dream. And I think that's, a, a tremendous number of Americans today, because they don't go through something called the power process anymore, they, they, they feel out of control. And so by feeling that you have control of your life, another thing, like medicine can be beyond the, the direct physical and can go into the mental state, obviously, as well. So one of the reasons people are so easily manipulated and don't recognize patterns of control by society is just they don't control their thoughts their thoughts are weak. So even what they try to control, they don't get a great result from. So that's why they spend all that time in that circle of concern versus a circle of control. If you actually felt like you had control, then your natural disposition would be to stick to the things that actually matter instead of being led around by the things that don't. Basically, the way I put it is it's fine to domesticate a dog or a cow. It's not good to be domesticating humans. And what they talk about mental conditioning, mental programming, you know, Fractional slavery, which is what taxation, all of that really comes down to is domestication of the human being. And, and I don't know about you. I'm not looking to be domesticated. No way. I mean, beautifully said, beautifully said. I mean, from the breath work until the last word you said. Yeah. I mean, breath, it's it, what's so beautiful about the breath. Like you said, it's the one thing that's anatomic that we can control. And well, I guess if, I guess people have learned to control other things, but 
breath There's is people that are like fat ass, they can control like their the rate of their heartbeat. You know, a lot of beekeepers do that and they don't even know they're doing it. Like one dude scientist, he was trying to figure out like why can a guy that keeps bees and, and learns to do it stick bare hands in and move like a swarm off of the hive and not get stung and you go touch one bee and it stings you? And they actually figured out that their respiration, their heart rate, everything goes down to where that bee is like sensing that energy goes, this thing's not a threat. That's kind of crazy. But you're right that breath is the one autonomic thing that anybody can instantly take control of. Now, now I know why I got stung in the back of my ear that one time now. <laughs> I was walking with the dog one day and all of a sudden yeah. I got this crazy bee from nowhere came and stung. I was like, what did I do to you? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, what sucks is when you watch your beekeeping mentor do shit like that, and you're like, I can do that shit. And the bee's like, no, you can't. <laughs> Yeah, I was, that was me. I was like, what did I do to you? <laughs> I'm trying to help you. you know, uh, it's, it's, they don't want you to stink. So you, you don't want to smell like really perfumey like a bath, and you also don't want to stink, stink. Uh, and so when we are fearful, we emit pheromones, fear pheromones. And the, if you're afraid, then the bee's like, oh, this, this freaking giant monkey bear thing wants to eat my honey or kill my queen. I'm going to stink its ass and give my life to defend the hive. But yeah, they, there are people that can control things. I've even seen, like, the stuff where monks control their body temperature. Uh, if you've ever seen that, where these monks, like, they sit in a circle in the snow, and they start going into this meditative state, and, like, the snow melts no. around these dudes. Like, there's that higher-level control. But I think anybody can at least, you know, 10 deep, slow breaths, right? And, 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 and then just while you're doing it, thinking about nothing but your breath, instead of all the other shit in the world. I think that's a huge part of mental health, and then mental health – it's kind of the root of physical health to a degree. You can still like healthy soil is what makes a plant healthy, but there's still other things that don't screw the soil up. I can do to screw the plant up. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think diet would be like mental health is the root of the health of the human, but bad diet can screw that up still. Oh yeah. Number one is the mental health. You are 100% sure because if we're not mentally well, we're not going to do anything physically to help ourselves. So mentally build yourself as resilient as possible. And like I say, use those four, those four agreements is what they're called by me. Mm. It's, it's Toltec philosophy. It's nothing new. It's been, it's been, it's been taught through the Toltecs from Central America for, for since they, since they existed. But that's what it is. It's that modern wisdom that we forget that's so beautiful. It's simple and so beautiful. We would just go back and use that. Our life becomes so much more simple. And that's what I'm trying to help people understand is that health is simple. It's not that hard. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's simple. So if you understand the simplicity of health, everything else becomes a lot more easy because then you're not making it all difficult. You're not making it all complicated. You know, this is what I got to do. These are certain things I got to do. And if I do that, my body does the rest. And that's all I got to focus on. Gotcha. Can we kind of wrap to the end here and, and bookend this? Where do you feel an herb like comfrey sits in the world of resiliency for us? It's part of it's part of medicine. Uh, I've always believed that plants are medicine. Now what I believe is plants are medicine and animals are food. Okay. But, but plants if we want to be resilient, they speed up the process. So they speed up the process of what we do naturally. So if we want to heal faster, we use the plant to help us heal faster. And so having comfrey with you and you do injure yourself, that can be a chronic injury or an acute injury. By using 
plant as medicine will speed up the process of what your body already knows what to do. That's why it's so great to have plant medicine in your life. It just, it helps you get back on your feet just that much faster. You know, one thing for people to really get their head around what you said, I loved it. Plants are medicine and, and animals are food is that the vast majority of plants are toxic. And I don't just mean that they contain toxins. I mean, a relatively small amount consumed will either make you violently ill or kill you. And I mean, it's more than 95% of all plants on planet Earth are significantly toxic to human beings. Most medications, the poison's in the dose, right? So the thing that's toxic can be a cure in the right dose applied the right way for the right duration, where if you keep doing it, it becomes a toxin and it'll kill you. Even things that we enjoy, like alcohol, it's poison, right? I love a good Kentucky bourbon, I really do, but it's poison and it it needs, if you're gonna use it for recreation, it needs to be in moderation and you're probably better off not even doing that. I'm not willing to give it up, but I'll I'll concede that. Uh, But most plants are toxic. There is very few animals that are toxic to consume, very few. And like the most toxic would be things like poison dart frogs, right? And we all know the story of poison dart frog. These Indians, they rub their arrow or their their dart on the dart frog, and they put it in a blowgun, and they shoot this giant howler monkey, and it falls out of the tree dead. Funny thing about those little critters, bring them here and keep them in an aquarium they're not poisonous. I didn't know this until my friend David, who keeps them, clued me into this. They don't even know what it is. It's something environmental where they live. And they're either eating, they're, pro- they're, they're not amphibian, they're not really an herbivore, so they're probably not eating a plant. They're eating something that eats a plant. And it's creating the toxin in their skin. So even some of the animals we think of as being toxic, cane toads. You eat a cane toad whole, yeah, it'll kill your ass. You skin a cane toad and get rid of those excretions, you, they eat them. It's a thing, right? So if you just looked at it purely from a standpoint of what can we naturally eat without killing ourselves? Animals win by the number. Mm-hmm. I even I like mushrooms. I don't know about you. I love mushrooms. They're delicious. Most mushrooms will kill you. What does that tell you when something has developed a biochemical means by which to kill you if you consume it? Maybe you shouldn't be eating it. I don't know. Sounds, sounds pretty <laughs> logical to me, and yeah. and it's and it's so beautiful because nature's beautiful. Nature knows everything. So you, I mean, if you actually if you take the whole thing and just bring it all to one, it's like nature teaches us what we need to do. Just follow nature's example. <laughs> so uh, Joe's bringing up foxglove here. This is a perfect example of a plant digitalis foxglove. Um, it it actually is a really great way to treat uh, con, uh, congestive heart failure. And if you take too much of it, it'll kill you. Well, I, I remember this is definitely from Andrew Weil. Uh, I remember reading in his book about how when he was a young medical uh, intern, he read in the the, the, the drug directory, whatever, the PDR, right, that there were these three symptoms of overdose to digitalis. And the first one was mild, you know, uh, stomach problems and things like this. And then the middle was like vomiting and diarrhea. And then the third one was instant death. That was the three stages. And he realized he had never seen an overdose that wasn't instant death or mild. There was no middle. 
and none of the doctors, all the doctors said, it's just the way it is. And he kept asking because he was curious. He found this one old-ass doctor that was old enough to remember, you know, making up digitalis before there was a drug. And he said, well, the way we used to do it is we'd give a little bit and we'd give a little bit and we'd give a little bit more until we got the therapeutic dose that we wanted. And we would watch the response. And if they got sick, we would back it off, even if we didn't get the therapeutic dose. And sometimes you'd give a person a little too much and they'd puke or vomit or have diarrhea or what have you. But the second that they isolated it and made it into a pill, if you take an overdose, then you're dead. And it's, and there's just so much in that. There's so much to learn from that. Um, I think we've covered a lot today, though. I want to answer some questions, but first I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the Comfrey Sub that you sell and let people know about your podcast, your website, all that stuff. You, you want to go ahead and do that before we answer some questions? Yeah. So I started selling the sub in Argentina, and Comfrey in Spanish is Consuelda. So I just kept the name. That's the brand. The brand's name is Consuelda, and Con, the Comfrey Sub was the first the first product that I started selling online about four months ago because we got back to the United States about eight months ago. So we won't, we haven't been here for that long. So I get everything up and running and everything like that. Of course, it's comfrey that's either grown by me or my dad. I mean, it's all, it's all homegrown comfrey. And then I just make a salve using two other very simple ingredients that makes it a salve. It's also an, uh, like I said, I, I really want everything to be ecological friendly as possible. So even the containers compostable, everything's compostable. You use it and compost it. Um, and it's a salve that, yeah, I've been, yeah, that's, that's it right there. That's, it's on my website, benpagedc.com is where you can get that. Um, I would have, it's, it's a, like I say, it's a great way to heal you faster. Um, you can find other things on my webpage. If you want to get in contact with me, the fastest way is usually through Instagram, even though I'm not even on Instagram that much, but I'm going to try and work it more into it. But on the, on all the, 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 the alternative, I guess it's not even alternative social media, but the, the like me, we and stuff like that. I'm getting on that too. So I'm on that also. And I really want to work more there because that's where I think we should be. But, uh, and, and then float too. But, but yeah, that's my website, Ben Page DC. I'm on Instagram at Ben Page DC. So you can get in contact with me if you would like to chat more. My web, my podcast is the Wellness Farmer podcast, but I'm actually at the moment of changing the name because I haven't farmed. For a long time so i'm going to change the name of my podcast where i talk about this i've talked about health and other ways we can we can become resilient and and as healthy as possible but i'm thinking about changing the name i don't know yet but i'm thinking maybe change the name to uh you hill you because that is what my philosophy of health has been for so many years that i think that would be a great name maybe you guys can let me know what do you think <laughs> You, you pick the name you want, but as a web marketer from way back when when people used to use Yahoo and MSN search, that's I've been doing this since Lycos was a search engine. Do not make a new feed. Do not change your domain. Change the name in the feed. Do not take it down and create a new podcast. You'll lose every bit of everything that you've built off. Of. Change the artwork. Change the name. Leave the feed the hell where it is. Mm -hmm. Or you will be like, I just started over. Yes, you did. Mm. You didn't have to. Right? New people will appreciate the new name. Old people will roll with the punches. I hate seeing someone do that. So that's my little pro tip, uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneur, podcaster, podcaster. Uh, and 
I'll have links to all your stuff. I've already got it done in the show notes. So including your social media, like your Instagram and you're on float and, and other platforms as well. That's all, all there already. Let's, uh, Hit some questions real quick here before I let you go. Uh, K-Bonk says, are there better or worse schools of chiropractor? Uh, nope. No, they're pretty much all the same. I went to I went to Palmer College of Chiropractic in Iowa. I mean, that's supposedly the mother. What is it called now? I think it's the first chiropractic college. Okay. And I, that's the one I went to, but I've been told they're pretty much all the same. Just really expensive. Really <laughs> <laughs> expensive. Uh, let's go on. Uh, Mitchell says, is it cytokines that coffee contains a lot of? I don't think that's no. It's okay. it's PA. It's it's yeah. It's, yeah. It's it's PA. Look into it. But when you look into it, realize that the science is. I'm not going to say faulty, but it's biased. It is definitely. I would agree that it is biased, and I think that we should just you and I, and even people that know way more than us, should acknowledge when we talk about this. What's in coffee? Here's the things that we know, and there's probably a shit ton of things and interactions and components to why it's a healing plant that we don't know and we may never know. And our ancestors may have known, but they didn't write it down or somebody destroyed the information and we may never regain it. And there is a place for observational uh, medicine in, in a way, in my opinion. We know the thing works and we can, we should do all we can to figure out why, but we also just acknowledge that, Hey, it works. Um, yeah. And I think not doing that is a big part of the problems we had you were referencing to the the term that we will not go deep into with the COVIDs, right? Like oh, yeah. we just ignored observational medicine. All these physicians everywhere said, Hey, look at this. My patient got better. Shut up. And then <laughs> we need to not do that anymore. But you tell you the truth, we'll probably never know. I mean, the more no. I learn about the human being, the more I realize I just do not know anything and that the human being is just beautiful and wonderful and it has the capacity to heal itself. Let's just give it what it needs to heal itself. But, yeah, the more I learn, the less I know. And we, I think the other thing we should look at with herbal medicine is are we helping the body heal or are we practicing replacement therapy for a pharmaceutical? And there's a place for both, but let's be clear on what we're doing. So if we look at something like, um, uh, I want to say willow bark, right, white willow bark, uh, and, and using that instead of aspirin, right? Well, a headache is not a deficiency in white willow bark or a deficiency in aspirin, right? So it's, that's more of an acute thing that we're addressing with something that has anti-inflammatory properties. Uh, and, and, and there's a place for both. I, there's no reason to sit around in pain if it can be reduced safely for a time. But there's also like there's a reason for pain, and we need to not forget that because – if you have an injury and you have inflammation and you have pain, part of that is your body immobilizing itself so it has time to heal. So inflammation we generally think of as bad. I think chronic inflammation is terrible. That's the root cause of many modern diseases. But acute temporary inflammation is generally the body saying, hey, dummy, don't do this. So you can take a drug that will eliminate the pain or reduce the pain. Then if you're stupid – and most of us are, you go, I feel better. You go out and you, 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 you agitate the injury because you didn't take the message that, Hey, you need to stop from your body or over reduction of fevers is another example. Like that is a body and, you know, response saying, Hey, let me kill this thing. I'm going to raise the temperature and kill the, the pathogen. 
Yeah, we need to realize that everything that the body does is intelligent. It's just adapting to the environment it's put into. It's intelligent. Your body is super intelligent and everything it does is intelligent. It's doing the proper thing in the environment that you pl- you placed it into. Yeah, so and that, I don't yeah. even I don't even have people uh with inflammation. Yeah. Ice doesn't all it is is movement. Yeah. Just move that joint to point of pain frequently and that's all and let your body do the rest of the healing. If you move that joint to if it's inflammation in the joint, yeah. move it often, frequently to point of pain, and it will heal properly. If you want to heal faster, up guess. Of course, use comfrey. <laughs> yeah. What is the best method for applying it to the lower back? I'm sure that means comfrey. I'd say a salve. Yeah, yeah. Get the salve, and you apply it. And if you get mine, it's super concentrated, so it's just a little teeny bit. And you're going to put it on both sides because we have two joints. We have two huge joints. They're called sacroiliac joints. It's not the center. It's mm-hmm. just about a couple inches off. You want to put them on the sacroiliac joints, those big joints on the sides, and then focus it on the middle portion of your lower back. That's what you're going to want to do. But most problems are are torsion-related in the sacroiliac region. So it's those really big joints to the sides that you want, and that's where you're going to foam it. And usually if you'll palpate, if you'll touch your, your back you'll, and you put it on the sides, that's where you're going to feel the tenderness. It's most most frequently, not in the center, but on those sides, right or left sides. Uh, Josh says, what are some things to look for when buying a comfrey salve? Well, well it comes from from... from yeah, <laughs> from you, it's good. Yeah, no, look, I mean, look for mine. Like, no, yeah. I mean, mine is comfrey leaf, olive oil, and beeswax. That's it. So the olive oil and beeswax makes the salve. The comfrey is concentrated, and that's how you heal you. And that's what mine is. And I don't know what you, that, that's what I would look for in the salve. I'd look for comfrey. So comfrey and nothing else. Because okay. that's that's where all the that's where all now the power is is in the leaf of that comfrey or the root, but I don't use any roots. I just use leaves. I've I've always made mine the exact same way. I comfrey, olive oil, beeswax. I've started experimenting using pork fat. Oh yeah, you pork can. fat is so similar to human fat, and the one thing I've noticed with that, um, and there's a guy with a skincare product that uses uh, pastured pork tallow in his skincare product, is that it is more readily absorbed into the skin. Um, I don't know if it really makes a therapeutic difference because the comfrey definitely gets absorbed, but I have noticed when I've used olive oil based salves, that, you know, a, an hour later, you're, you're still glistening because that <laughs> olive oil only penetrates the skin so much, but the pork uh, fat, uh, especially leaf uh, fat tends to really go into the skin then you smell like bacon, but there's worse things to smell like. Uh, what are uh, okay? We already did that one. Uh, let's see. Is there a carrier which is better? We that's kind of the same thing we just answered. Um, what herbal remedy book would you suggest to a newbie? Do you have one? Just a general herbal? No, I do not. I do not. I just. It's funny. Let's see. I I used to offer. Man, I am man. I should have. Yeah, you got. Yeah, I, I recommend Herbal Medicine Maker's Handbook by James Green. If I could have one book, that would and be I'll have that in the show notes for you guys today once the audio goes up. It's on my website. If you go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Herbal, didn't mean to cut you off there, but nope. I look at that book and I look at online e-courses in herbal medicine that people pay 200 300 $400, $500 for. And I've, I've looked at some of those because I've had people make, I'll give you my course to sell it for me. And I've yet to see one that'll do for a person any more than that $20 book will. 
if you take that book and you read it from cover to cover and he, he starts off with a project making a tincture from dandelion and you go through and as you learn all the different formulations of herbs, uh, there's ways to do it. If you do the little projects in it, by the time you get out of it, you're, I, I think you've gone about as far as a person's going to go as a, as a home herbalist without some level of formal study or, you know, working with somebody that is a, a master herbalist or something like that. And the other thing I like about that book is there's nothing in it that's going to kill you. And there is coffee in there. Right? <laughs> so, like when I say that, but there's, it's, it's safe herbs because there are some herbs that can be very healing, but they also improperly used can be very dangerous. For sure. Oh yeah. And that's, and that's why you need to use it when it needs to be used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and and in the amounts that it needs to be used when you get into certain things like you ain't gonna OD on garlic, but there are some other things that you might OD on. This one really into question. It was just when I mentioned lantana, there were people going, "That's poisonous," and I thought it would kill you. You know, um, if you want to know about lantana and dermal regeneration, uh, there's a link right there. I'll include that in the, the notes today. Uh, but that's off uh, NIH, and so it, this is a well known. Uh, I've actually had, I don't necessarily agree with this, but I had Sam Kaufman on years ago and he said as far as like a wound dermal regenerator that he actually thinks that Lantana is more powerful than Comfrey at that. And my grandfather often used the two of them together. Uh, Take, do with that as you will. But um, there's probably ways to use Lantana that are not safe. So make sure that, like, just be careful, guys, not just my podcast, but anything when you hear somebody say something that you actually don't just all of a sudden start eating bowls of anything or using it with, with no discretion. And, and then understand that different people use different common names. I don't throw around a lot of Latin, but when you get down to actually identifying something that you're not sure about, you know, I'll, I'll bring it to this. Like the Tagastes Marigolds that you buy in, in the stores are not dangerous, but when somebody says marigold and they mean calendula, it is two different things. You have a calendula species and you have a tagasti species. So be sure when somebody throws out a name or a term that you are, you're doing enough research to know what they were talking about, I guess. Uh, next one, Joe says best comfrey balking to make salve. Interested in your opinion of this. I want to first let people know where the word Bocking comes from. Bocking's a, a town in England. And uh, uh, I want to say Lawrence, but it's, that's the wrong first name. Wells, uh, whatever the hell his name was now. Um, anyway, last name's Wells. Uh, the book I brought up earlier. He's the guy that did all the work with the Bockings and doing the different crosses. And he called it Bocking so that no one would misunderstand it. He, he just took the name of the town he was near. And threw that in there so that it would be clear when his work was being used somewhere else and no one would confuse what he meant by it. So he just came up with all these numbers. And the two most common in our world today are four and 14. Personally, I think they all work. I think they're all fine. If I wanted to try to do the most medicinal, I would do what our ancestors did. And I would use, you know, officinalis, the the wild form of comfrey. I use just normal. I mean, what what's this? The I use the common comfrey. Yeah, you're using efficient Alice, which is all comfrey. That's what I, that's what I use. 
And I got roots from a f- good friend of mine. I mean, yeah. that's what all started uh, like 15 years ago. Yeah. And and then I just kept taking that root to the new place I went and planted it again. And that's exactly. You, you probably have Bocking 4 or 14 then. Uh, I, so if it was a fish analysis, the reason this, this started was, well, can we make one with more protein, less like common reasons we make hybrids? But the other reason was that people feared that it would get, become too weedy. So the officinalis, it will flower, it will go to seed, and not only will the root reproduce, the seed will reproduce, right? So these, these, these hybrid varieties, the seed is sterile, so you can clone it to the end of the earth, but it won't take over places, which I think is an over-concerned risk. Yeah. The officinalis is the wild form, and it will, it will reproduce from seed. The, the shtick is that the Bocking, it's the four, I, I could have this backwards. The four, it, it tends to be a better plant for fodder, like animals find it more palatable. And the 14 more for like fertility, like it's a better dynamic accumulator. I think it's permaculturist wishful thinking, personally. I, like I said, I think it all works and it all works wonderfully. But if you wanted the most medicinal, I guess the wild form may have an advantage. I, I'm just pulling it out of my butt there, though. <laughs> yeah, I think you're good with anything. Yeah, comfrey is a beautiful plant. Don't take it. Don't take it. Don't complicate it. <laughs> uh, this one, I have no idea what Josh is talking about. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Oh yeah, Wim Hof never breathing. heard of it. WHM. Yeah, Wim Hof. He's Hoff the, breathing. I, yeah, that guy knows what he's doing. Okay. I mean, yeah, he's that guy. Well, that's uh, a name, not a yeah. method. Wim Hof. Okay. Cool. That's his method, but yeah. He, okay. He, yeah, he definitely knows what he's doing. Okay, cool. So it's endorsed by our guest. I'm gonna tell you, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't claim to know things I don't. Never heard of them, but I'll, I'll look into it. Uh, dude, this was a absolute fantastic interview. Great discussion as always. I appreciate you being with us today, Benjamin. Again, uh, Pesto Verde's farm is uh, the, the, actually the, I just redirects to. Benjamin Page, DC, DC. Okay. Yeah, that just happened. Yeah, so okay. I'm, I'm changing everything over. So yeah, Ben Page, DC now. But yeah, Pastel Better This Farm will direct you straight to Ben Page, DC. Well, hey, I appreciate you being with us. Let me let you go, and uh, I'll wrap things up. Thank you for being with us again today. And again, all of Benjamin's links are going to be in the audio notes. There's a link to that. In the video notes below, if you're watching the video in real time or in the future, it'll take about one hour after we finish the live stream before that link is live. So if you go there now, it won't be there yet because we're not quite done. Ben, thanks for being with us today. No, thank you. I love chatting with you, Jen. All right, guys, that was a great discussion. I want to, as we wrap things up here, uh, remind you guys about uh, how you can help support the show and the work that we do. Uh, one of the uh, really easy ways to do that is to start doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. If you go there, you'll help us out no matter what you buy. Today, I don't have an item of the day for you, though. I have something called a tip, right? I'm going to give you, instead of asking you for a tip, I'm going to give you a tip, and that is to uh, to consider using the Amazon Renewed Store. When you shop at Amazon, and you can go read my article for more on this, but I'll give you the basics of it. People think renewed is like used and broken and fixed. 
I want you to go look at the Amazon Renewed store today. You can find a link in the article that I have on the screen for if you're watching the video. And I want you to look at what you'll find there. And you'll find things like a $20, you know, mini food processor or a $20 crock pot or uh, you'll find something like a $50 power tool or something like that or a, uh, a $50 web camera that would normally sell for 80 bucks new. And I want you to think about if it would make sense that Amazon would have a whole bunch of random people sitting around doing small electronics repair or something. It wouldn't. It wouldn't and it doesn't and it's not gonna and it never did. The renewed program is basically returns. And the other thing you'll notice in the renewed stores, it's all top brands, high end stuff, the things that are going to sell. So for a long time, Amazon just took all of its returns, put them on a great big pallet, sold them sight unseen to people that then flipped them because they can't sell it as new anymore. And over time, they developed enough data and they said, hey, these things do really well put back on Amazon as used. So what we're going to do is we're going to reserve those items and create this renewed program. And that's how the Amazon renewed program works. So people think of it this way. Bill buys a drill. Bill uses the drill for a couple of weeks. The drill burns up or something breaks in it. Bill sends the drill back under warranty. Amazon repairs it in a little chop shop somewhere and then sells it to you. What actually happens, Bill buys a drill and his wife yells at him, you don't need another drill. And he just uses Amazon's liberal return policy and sends it back. And then Amazon has somebody check it out, put it back in a box and sell it to you on renewed. So you get a great price. There are some things to look out for like warranties and what have you. Uh, usually 90 days instead of the standard manufacturer warranty because Amazon doing the warranty, not the manufacturer at that point. But otherwise, it's a really great way to save a lot of money. So check it out. Next up, uh, you know, last week, guys, I made a statement and we already have shirts for it in the swag shop at TSP Swag. I said that politics is a game designed by soci by psychopaths run by sociopaths and played by idiots. And we now have shirts uh, with either back or front design uh, that say that for you. So if you want to get one of those, check it out. You can find that and a lot of other really cool stuff. We've got some new tumblers and mugs uh, coming as well, probably next week uh, to the site. So uh, check it out. You can always, you know, you're supporting the show, but you're also uh, getting some really cool uh, merchandise if you go uh, check that out. Last but not least, before I sign off for the day, uh, you're running out of time. If you want to get tickets for the Greater Reset 4 in Bastrop, Texas, and come on down there, you can see if you're on the screen, we have it kind of broken down. The 18th is going to be about liberating your mind, body, and soul. The 19th is going to be all about permaculture and food independence. That's the day that I'm speaking. The 20th about agorism and parallel economies and networks. 20, the 21st, we're going to be talking about taking our tech back. And uh, 22nd, building free and conscious communities. And there's even, I think you can do a three-day pass if you don't want to come to the whole thing. But if you come down there, you're going to meet some awesome people. Myself, Mark Moss, J.P. Sears, Texas Slim, Dr. Ken Berry, Sean Hawkins, Zuby. Uh, just a great time. I've been to John's events before. He does nothing halfway. It's all first class. You'll really love it. You'll get to meet some great people. And it's not just the speakers. You get to meet other people that you can form community with. Uh, John has done a great job of building that mindset in his audience. I am honored to get to speak down there. I'd be honored to uh, 
to, to get to meet you there if I've never met you before or have a beer with you. Uh, again, if I've done that before with you, I'll definitely make myself available uh, while I'm there. I may disappear off into what we call the green room for here and there, but I will definitely make sure I'm available to be uh, spoken to and, and talk to and ask questions and stuff like that. And maybe come up with some stuff we can do uh, after hours and have a drink or two or something like that. Uh, with that, uh, I am going to sign off for the day. Tomorrow, I want to remind you, I'm going to be doing one of those jack off the top rope elbow in the head uh, shows. And uh, tomorrow's show is going to be why they always win and you always lose with they and you in quotes. Um, I, I had a really interesting uh, series of discussions on social media recently about this idea that these uh, 87,000 IRS agents are there to make sure that billionaires pay their fair share of taxes. Uh, first of all, it would be 145 agents to the billionaire if you do the math. That permanently assigned if that was their purpose. The IRS goes after low-income people, and the IRS goes after small businesses with turnover about $1 to $6 million dollars. Those are the two sweet spots. There's a lot of money that they can get from the one to six million dollar business where the business owner probably makes less than, you know, uh, a high level programmer in a job because they're paying people and inventory and everything. There's a lot of money there and they don't have the time or the resources to defend themselves. And poor people, they don't audit them. They send them a letter and say, just give me the money. And they, they, they tend to do it. That's why they do it. That's, that's how the IRS gets funding for itself through additional tax harvesting. The billionaires, they don't actually cheat on their taxes. I'll tell you why tomorrow. I'll tell you why this overriding mindset is the difference between wealth consciousness and poverty consciousness. And many of you have broken free of this. It'll still be beneficial. And many of you haven't. And tomorrow, some of you are going to be like, screw this jerk, and you're going to want to turn it off. Don't. Allow yourself to be challenged. I used to be broke. I mean, ramen noodles broke. Not that long. It seems like forever ago to me, but I know in reality, in the span of a human lifetime, 25 years, 30 years isn't that long. And I know what it was like to be that way. And the truth was I had to change my mindset before I changed my situation in life. We're going to talk about that, the tactical approach to it, like tax law and things like that, but also the mental approach, why they always win and you always lose. It'll be a hard pill to swallow, but it'll be a beneficial, it'll be good medicine in the theme of today's show. With that, I will catch you guys tomorrow. And then expert counsel Q&A. I got a great one brewing for you on Friday, and that'll wrap up our week. They keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. You don't have to be another face in the crowd.
revolution is you.